Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. I first became part of the Pentecostal holiness, I would bring friends from other churches and I was trying to figure out my faith walk and I would come and we were part of services like this and a lot of revivals start out this way and sometimes they would say to me, you know, it just doesn't seem real. It seems almost like performance art. It seems like some type of staged apparatus that's, that's happening in front of our eyes. I can assure you, for those of you who were prayed for, there was nothing staged. There was no performance going on. In fact, I want to remind you this morning that God is not concerned with your performance. He doesn't want you to show off in front of people. He doesn't want you to make yourself the center of attention. He doesn't want you to go through your Christian walk trying to be something that you're not. In fact, the Bible says he's not even concerned with your righteousness because your performance, your righteousness is as dirty rags. Your performance isn't good enough. Many have tried before you and they failed. There is only one whose performance was good enough. Only one whose righteousness was good enough. Do you know who that is? It ain't you, and it ain't me, and it certainly ain't Pastor Terry. Are you following me? Pastor Terry wasn't concerned with any performance. As a matter of fact, he was exhausted and hungry, and he wanted to leave, but he stayed because all of you had a belief inside of you that God was going to speak to you, and so you received it. Amen? Now, there are conditions on those type of prophecies. Those aren't biblical prophecies or global prophecies. Those are personal prophecies, and there are conditions on the word of knowledge and prophecy being spoken to your life. I'm going to tell you what it is, but I'm sure you can figure it out. What I want to get back to, if he's not concerned with our performance or our righteousness, what is God concerned with? When he looks at you and me, the Bible says he looked at David and he saw his heart. What did he see inside there? What is it specifically that he's looking for? You see, because we as modern day Christians, as Americans, you know, we have a tendency to look on the inside of ourselves and of all those around us, and all those people in our life, and we come to all sorts of conclusions of what they're all about and what we're all about. Do we see the same thing God sees? More than likely not. Here's what I want to share with you. I want to start with this verse. Um, I'm reminded of this verse, and in my mind, when I, when I knew this verse, it's Galatians chapter 3, it wasn't nearly as aggressive as it was when I read it again this week. So I want to bring it up on the screen here. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says these words in a New Living Translation. But those who depend on the law make them right with God under the curse. For the scriptures say, cursed. Say cursed. That's not a word you like to say in church, is it? Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in the book of the law. You know, we say, hey, we need to be a good Christian. We need to observe the law. What's the law? Oh, it's the Ten Commandments, right? Well, no, the Ten Commandments was just what was brought down in Exodus. There's a whole chapter called Deuteronomy, which is nothing but laws after laws after laws. God says, if you want to be performant, if you want to step up to be performance and you want to show God that you can do all the right things and that by your righteousness you can prove to him that you are worthy, that you are justified, it's very clear here. It says you must obey all the commands. All the commands. Who here is able to do that? <laughs> We've all tried maybe. At one point we may have been convicted that we should 
and then yet we fall short and we feel guilty, we feel condemned, we wonder how are we going to do this. It says if you live that way, you are cursed. Cursed, what does it mean? It means that God has a blessing for you, he has favor for you, and yet you cannot receive it because you put some expectation on yourself that God has not. In fact, verse 11, it says this, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. So if you're going that route, good luck. I don't know where you're heading because it's not to be justified before God. It says because the righteous will live by, will live by, let's highlight it on the screen here, they will live by faith. You see, there's something that happened when Jesus Christ came. Before Jesus, there was the law. There was judgment. After Jesus Christ, there was something else that came. There was grace and there was mercy. And something in between sits very clearly in between. It's called faith. And Jesus Christ brings it out over and over and over all through the word of God. When somebody says, you know, I have my faith and it keeps me grounded. Or they say in a hospital, or they say to, you know, a lawyer, or they say to a supervisor, you know, I rely on my faith. When they use that word in that context, what does it mean? What are they saying? You know, for a child listening to that, and if you explain it, you would say they have a belief system. They have a set of beliefs. They have a worldview that they believe in earnestly. And above all other laws, they believe in this belief system, and that holds them grounded that holds them safe, that holds them in a place of hope. Do you have faith this morning? Do you have your own faith this morning? Do you rely on your faith this morning? What is faith? Well, in the short term, faith is very simple. If you have a set of beliefs, then faith is to believe. Earnestly believe. To trust. To believe. To trust. To believe. You see, they're almost, they're almost one and the same thing. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, things that we expect to happen, the evidence of things not seen. To spiritual faith is about not seeing something and yet still trusting, still believing. I want this to settle in your your system. My wife and I, we had a quick conversation last night. I said, what's the most important thing in your walk with God? She was quick. She's charismatic. She's evangelical. She says, your relationship with Jesus. I said, what about faith? She says, well, you only need a little bit of faith, but you need a lot of relationship. Spoken like a wise woman. So I began to dwell on it. I said, I got to rewrite this whole sermon. I've all messed up. The Lord said, slow down, slow down. I don't have to rewrite the sermon because very quickly it occurred to me, You see, these are words we use in spiritual realms, but we take it into the practical realm, we take it into real life, a relationship, an earnest relationship, the ones that are in your life that you count on, the ones you depend on. There's something at the center of that relationship that you know is there. You don't question it. You don't doubt it. You know what it is? It is trust with your spouse, with your children. With your parents, there is trust. Trust is the essence of any good relationship. When we have a relationship with one another, we fall into a level of trust with one another, and that trust allows us to keep each other's back and go through life together. You see, to have the relationship, you need to have trust. The Bible calls that faith. So in your relationship in marriage, we say we are faithful to one another. The same concept. Are you following me, church? Are you understanding? Okay, good, so we'll move on. The question now is, do you live by faith? That's what Galatians 3 verse 11 says. The righteous will live by faith. 
That doesn't mean the righteous will live by their works to get righteous. They will get blessing because they do good things. They will get blessing from God because they are good enough. It says, no, they will live by faith. It says, the people who come to the altar in faith will receive by God. Not because they're pastors or they're trained or they have some ordination. No, they live by faith. So the question is, do we live by faith? As a society, do we live by faith? This is one I've struggled with all night long. I've been thinking about it over and over again. You know, I'd say, let me just look at my own life. I won't look at any of you. I was thinking to myself, do I live by faith? Well, last week, for instance, we had a service that lasted, I don't even know, 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30. I don't even know what time I left. But I left, and as soon as I left, I had my phone off. It was on Do Not Disturb because I didn't want to interrupt. So I, I turned it off and turned it back on, and I'm driving, and somebody texted me about Kobe Bryant. They said, Kobe Bryant has passed away. Now, so when I saw that, I'm thinking, the first thing I think is, no way, no way, no way. Is he joking? That's not funny. Why would you do it? You know, what's going on? And so the first thing I did is probably what other people would do, maybe some of you. First thing you did when you heard Kobe Bryant is you go to Google and you type in, is Kobe Bryant dead? I had zero faith, zero. I did not believe it at all, zero. As with anything else that I hear in the news, right? Oh, the coronavirus this, and government this, and Iran that, and Ukraine this. I Google it. Is it true? Is it true? I have no faith that this is true. Why? Because we live in a society where facts are everywhere, and it's very hard to believe anything. In fact, our very own government right now, we have two sides who literally do not trust each other at all, zero. One side says this, don't believe you. One side says that, I don't believe you. This is our society. It is trying to corrupt the very basis of what God is asking us to do, which is to live by faith. Are you tracking me? Yet somehow we'll watch an infomercial and we'll say, oh, that thing will help me lose weight, so I'll buy it. I don't understand that. Oh, yeah, see, millennials have no clue what I mean when I say infomercial. <laughs> no, the ad on Google, you know, that tells you if you don't click here, you can get this and you buy that, you get something. We do it, but it doesn't work and we buy it. I don't know. So my point is, though, I think we have a problem with our belief system, the way we operate in our minds, what our first reaction is when we see or hear anything. The Bible is so clear. It says, whatever you ask in prayer, you know what the next line says? Believe. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe. It doesn't say, whatever you ask in prayer, feel on it. Mm, it feels, it doesn't, I don't feel anything. Uh, it's, it's not better. Uh, it's, it hurts more. Uh, it's, I, I don't feel the money coming. Uh, I don't feel the job. It doesn't say anything about feeling, does it? Or how about this one? Does it say, whatever you ask in prayer, wonder. Just sit in a state of wonder and wonder and worry until it comes true. Does it say that? No, but look, we as human beings, this is the state we're in. When prayers become desperate, it's so hard to get off of this, do I wonder what's going on? Can I feel what's going on? And if I don't feel something, then you know what? I'm in trouble. And so when we have these altar calls, people come up because they want to feel something. Some of you may have felt something last week. Some of you may have uh, fallen in the power of the Holy Ghost here. You may have woken up and still felt nothing. Some of you have been maybe prayed over and were hoping to feel a tingle, hoping to feel something, and maybe you did and maybe you didn't. I'm telling you right now, your feeling means nothing. Care what faith you're from, it means nothing because God says we do not work in our feeling. We work in our faith. Now here's, this one's, this one's gonna get us. Does it say when you pray, everything you pray, make sure you see it. 
come to pass? No. Right? So if you waited to see if the doctors were going to confirm that you needed a, a pacemaker or not and say, well, okay, you say I need a pacemaker, you went and get a pacemaker, you'd have a pacemaker now. But you didn't. Right? Now, everyone's different. And look, by the way, we need to be good stewards with what we have. Good stewards with our money, good stewards with our knowledge, our logic, our faith, our good stewards with medicine. We need to listen to doctors, by the way. But when there's discrepancies and when there's confusion, when there's doubt involved, we take it to the Lord. And we say, you know what, Lord, I want to see what you have for me. I'm going to move in faith. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about that. But before I do, I want to give you another example. This is just my own life. Okay, so let me make it really practical. I have a car at home that I do drive in the winter. That means that it just sits in the garage. Guys, you're crazy. Well, it's my dream car. I don't want to drive in the winter. And by the way, you know, it's okay for God to bless you with something nice. Do you know that? Why do we only get excited when all the sinful people in the world have all the money and get blessed with nice things? You don't think God can bless the righteous and the just with something nice? You don't think so? Amen. God has a cattle on a thousand hills and he wants to do things in your life. So anyway, this car I have and it's covered up. And I put a cover over it. Why do I put a cover over it? I don't know. Because I don't want my kids to mess with it. And it makes me feel good. I don't know. Who knows? But it's in my garage under the cover. I can't see it. It's under the cover. I know it's there because it's this thing. But maybe there's something else under it. I mean, it looks like a car. I don't know for sure it's a car unless I look inside. But I covered it. So I say because I covered it, it's a car. Okay. I don't go in my garage every day. I go through the front door. I leave the house. I don't know if it's still in the garage unless I go look. You know, I, I hope it's in the garage. I have faith it's in the garage. When I go away to work and I travel for work for multiple days, I don't say, oh, no, I wonder if my car disappeared. I don't get home the first thing. Hi, honey. Hi, kids. Hi, bathroom. Hi, car. Oh, yeah, you're still there. I don't do that. I don't do that. But yet, at times in my spiritual walk, and I'm sure with yours, I treat God very much that way. I pray for something, I believe that God is doing something, and then I constantly got to check back. I constantly check in on him. I constantly am saying, God, well, maybe you changed something. Let me look under the covers. Give me some sign. I want to make sure it's there. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I just want you to think on it. I had a thought here. Maybe it's because we learn by experience. And maybe I know through experience that we have physical laws and my car is there and it's under the cover and if no one comes into my house and steals the car, if there's no police report that says the car was stolen, then I can guarantee the car was there. Except, of course, if my son takes my keys, tricks me and drives the car away, so I have to put a monitor on both my car and my son and then I know for sure the car's not gone. But maybe the spiritual world doesn't work that way. The spiritual world doesn't have rules, right? So I got to figure it out as I go, right? That is not true. And we're going to be talking about that in a moment here. So let's keep going. I think I got you to the place I wanted to get you. So I want to talk about faith, and I want to show you my first example here. My first example is Matthew 9, 29. It says, then he touched their eyes. This is Jesus. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. This was the blind men. Two of them come to Jesus. Jesus was walking away. Two blind men chased Jesus. I can't imagine what this scene is like. Two blind men chase Jesus, goes into a house. They chase him into the house. How does that work? I don't know, but they were persistent. They get in there, and Jesus says, what does it say? Because of your faith. It will happen. It doesn't say, you're not a sinner anymore. 
you're righteous now, you're justified, let me preach a sermon to you. It says, because of your faith. Let's keep going. You know, there was a situation, and you brought it up right here when you were talking, Mike. There were 10 lepers. God healed all 10 lepers. All 10 of them ran away. When they realized they were healed, one of them said, I'm going to go back and thank God. He comes back to Jesus, and Jesus says to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. The part I want you to know today, this is so important. The highlighted word today is not faith. Whose faith is it? Whose faith is it? This is not talking about Pastor Terry's faith, Pastor Sean's faith. This is not talking about your grandparents' faith, your children's faith, the worship team's faith. It's not talking about the faith of God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and it's definitely not talking about Jesus Christ's faith. It's talking about your faith. Whose faith? Your faith. Who has the faith to allow God to work inside of them? You do. Whose faith is it? Your faith. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Let's keep looking. There's a bunch more verses. Luke chapter 8, verse 48. Daughter, he said to her, whose faith? Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the woman with the issue of blood. You remember this? This woman spent all her money, went to all the doctors, could not find an answer for anything. She's still bleeding to the point where she is ostracized. The law says she can't even go out in public. She goes out in public. She finds Jesus. Jesus walks right by her. She's fed up. She reaches out. She touches intentionally Jesus' cloak. Jesus don't even say a word. She touches Jesus' cloak. Jesus don't even say a word. She, you follow me? And what happened? He turns around and says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? There's more. Let's look in Matthew 15, verse 28. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. What was her request? She came to Jesus, not about herself. She came to Jesus about her daughter. Her child was desperately sick to the point of possession and even death. And she said, Jesus, please, please help me. Whose faith was it? Hers. In this case, it wasn't even the child's faith. Child wasn't asking. This was mama asking. For all of you out there who have children who pray for your sons and daughters, recognize today that your faith has an impact on their lives. Amen. Now, this one's interesting here because this woman was a Gentile. Anybody know what a Gentile is? That just means they weren't part of the faith back then. The Jews were set up. They were special. They were holy. They were righteous. They were the best of the best. That's, that how, that's how they thought of themselves, by the way. And I'm, yeah, I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of knowledge here. And everyone else, well, they were junk. And so we gave them a name, Gentile. So this was a Gentile woman who came up amongst the Jews. The Jews didn't even want her there. In fact, when she came up, they all went silent. Jesus didn't even look at her. She started asking for Jesus. Jesus didn't even pay her attention. She asked a question to Jesus. Jesus it totally ignored ignored her. How would you feel? Is that your experience? Oh no, God loves me. Oh, God wants me. Oh, God's going to hug me. I'm going to run up to God and, and be a part of him and, and he's just going to love on me. Well, that was not her experience. She went up and Jesus ignored her and all the disciples. She then begged Jesus and said, my daughter, please. And you know what his response was? It wasn't this. This is verse 28. Go back and look at 26 and 27. He literally says, I came for the Jew, not the Gentile. Let me translate this for you. This is like you praying to God to do something, 
And in your spirit, you begin to hear, you're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not great enough. You're not awesome enough. You're not like the pastor. You don't live good enough. Remember that sin you did two weeks ago? Remember that sin you did last night? Remember that sin you were thinking about doing? You're not good enough to receive God's blessing. You see, because back then, that's exactly how they all thought. Every single one of them. And the Jews said, that is the way. So when he said this in front of all the Jews, the Jews were like, uh-huh, uh-huh, see? That's why you're not going to do anything for her. And you know what she said? She said, even the dogs, even the dogs can pick up the crumbs off that fall from the table. Meaning that if you're going to sit here and bless all the Jews, you may drop a crumb or two. I'll just take a crumb. Jesus now stopped what he was doing. He looked at her and he says, what? Your faith is great. You believe more than all these people in the room believe. Your request is granted. Their faith was tested. And now God was able to demonstrate for all the Jews that had nothing to do with her righteousness or her birth or her situation. It only has to do with her. Jesus' faith. Jesus' power. The Holy Spirit. What denomination you're part of. What church you go to. What song I just sang. What Bible verse I read this morning. What devotion I subscribed to. None of it matters. Your faith. Is there more, Pastor Sean? There's like a whole four gospels of this. So here's one more, Mark 2, verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed, man, my child, your sins are forgiven. This is one of my favorite stories of all time. This is a situation where the paralyzed man couldn't get to Jesus because there was so many people around Jesus. So the four buddies took the paralyzed man. They strapped him into a mat which had some ropes on it, carried the man to the house, couldn't get in, carried him on top of the house. Then they took the roof apart. Then they lowered their buddy down on top of Jesus. Man, I love that. See, again, that's not the Jesus you know, right? No, I'm so great. I'll come in the church. God will move everyone out of the way from me. Everyone will love me, and God will show me how much he loves me. That's not this man's experience. There were so many people in the way, he couldn't even get to God. He needed to fight his way into God. He ripped the roof open. They dropped him down on him. And it says, seeing their faith. Can you pray for somebody else and something happen? Or does it just have to be you? Well, the first couple examples, it had to be you. In the last two examples, it was someone else, a mother. This was their friends. This was their friends dropping them down. Their faith was seen in action. Are you following me, church? People don't stop praying because God stops working. That's not how it is because God continues to work in stories like you just had and stories like Mike just had. People don't stop praying because God stops working. People stop praying because they stop believing. They, oh, God don't hear me. He don't hear me anymore. Whatever reason you use to say that God is not healing you or listening to you or paying attention to you is wrong because he is listening and he is working and he hears you and he is working his will in your life. Do not let Satan your conscience, or any other voice in your life speak to you that he does not hear you. People stop praying because they stop believing. They stop believing that God can do it. They stop believing that God will hear them. They stop believing that any of it will matter. I am here to remind you this morning, it does matter. He does hear you, and he is working. One of my favorite songs is even Christian. I don't mind admitting it. It's by Journey. Don't stop believing awesome 
By the way, the guy who wrote and played that song is now the leader of one of the biggest Christian bands in the world, and he's at Jesse's sister's church in California. Stop thinking about all of it that's in your life, all the reasons why God won't do it, all the reasons why you can't understand it, all the reasons why it won't happen for you. That's not what these verses say. It says, he saw their faith. Are you following me today, church? Man, I have so much to say, so I gotta just speed up. I gotta go. He says in Mark chapter four, verse 40, he says to the disciples, oh, I love the disciples. The disciples are my boys. He says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have, and now he calls them out. What does he say here? No faith. He says, no faith. He says, you know, you got a little. Well, wait a minute, the Bible says we all have a measure of faith. Don't worry about the Bible says, you got no faith. You still have no faith. This is Jesus. This ain't me. This ain't, a, this ain't a sermon. This is Jesus. Now, I feel a little bit bad for the disciples here. This is Mark chapter 4. There's only three chapters before this. And before this, two of those chapters, the disciples didn't even know Jesus. So in chapter 3, they met Jesus. They saw a little bit of a healing. They heard a couple sermons. They heard a parable. And now they're on a boat. And they're trying to get away from all the people. And a storm comes. They think they're about to die. They don't got a lot to go on here. And Jesus says, you got no faith. You still got no faith? After everything I just did, which was not that much, you still have no faith. No faith. Why do I love the disciples? The disciples, they're exactly who we are in our church. They are regular, everyday, normal people who have jobs, who have families, and who are human beings. They, they doubt, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're thick-headed, they're jealous, and you know what else they are? They, they, they fear. They feel real things. Jesus saw in their eyes they were scared. It is human. It is natural, and it will happen to you and to me. Now, we can say fear is the opposite of faith. You heard that last week, but the reality is, is none of us are walking around in heaven, so fear is a real thing. The Spirit, the Bible says, God hasn't given us. That doesn't mean he hasn't given us all the other spirits that reign around in hell that come up and pick on us. Lots of them do. Disciples are human. And what I remind myself is, if these thick-headed, uneducated, untrained, angry, jealous, stubborn, doubtful, and fearful human beings, if they can do it, so can we. So can you. Jesus, of course, healed the storm. He cast away the storm. He, peace be still. You know how this goes. And they move on. So now there is this conflict of all this great stuff I said at the beginning about faith with the reality that we are human and that we will encounter fear and it gets in the way of our faith. What do we do about that? So I'd be remiss if I didn't share this verse with you. Luke chapter 17, verse five. This is the whole point of the sermon. You see, we're doing a series on prayers. You're like, Pastor Sean, what prayer are you teaching me here? You know, two weeks ago, we talked about the earnest prayer. The week before that, we talked about prayer gold, you know, the Lord's prayer. And then we talked about what a fervent, earnest prayer looks like. And today, we're talking about this prayer, one of the most effective prayers in the Bible. It says to pray to God to increase your faith. Disciples said, increase our faith. How did they do this? Why did they do this? Well, what happened was, Jesus said to them, if somebody sins against you and repents and comes to you as for forgiveness, give him forgiveness. If he comes to you seven more times in the same day, forgive him. We can barely forgive somebody seven years ago, 
let alone one person more than once, let alone one person seven times the same day. We got a bunch of choice words for that person, don't we? He didn't say don't share the choice words with them, by the way. He just said, forgive them. But the disciples knew what I knew. Are you crazy? I can't do that. I am not capable of doing that. And so their response, finally, their response finally was, I could do it if I had more faith. There are things I can't do. I need more faith. Father God, give me radical faith. Increase my faith. Faith, church, is a choice. It is a choice. When Terry was down here and he was ministering at the altar, I've been part of his services many times. In fact, I'm usually his armor bearer going around and helping him and supporting him. Now we have a church organized enough that that's taken care of and Pastor Chris can support and the ushers and deacons can support. I don't have to. And it puts me in a very amazing position where I can sit back and watch God work. And I tell you this year, what I really wanted to do is, I knew what was going on in a lot of your lives because I speak to you. You guys share with me. I know what's going on. I wanted to sit back and I wanted to see God work. I wanted to see what God was going to speak to individuals, what he was going to speak to couples, what he was going to speak to children, what he was going to speak to strangers that I've never seen before. I wanted to see what he was going to speak. And over and over again, I'm sitting here and I'm measuring Pastor Terry. Look, you guys are my flock. My job is to protect you, Right? Pastor Terry, we're friends, but who knows what happened the last year. I haven't been in his house. I don't know. So I get to measure everything he's doing, everything he's saying. And I'm watching the people that I know personally and the prayers I know personally. And he is reading their mail. Sometimes I see it with tears. Sometimes I see people fall out. Sometimes I see it with just this stoic, like, you got to be kidding me. He just said that out loud. And as I'm measuring those things, you know what's happening to me? Every time he reads a mail, every time he's saying the things I was too scared to say, every time he's saying the things that I don't have the boldness or courage to say because I am scared, and when he goes through and he overcomes his fear and says it, you know what happens to me? My faith is increased. So when I pray at night and I pray God increase my faith, does he just drop this present from heaven and all of a sudden, boom, I wake up that much. Oh, I got a lot of faith today. No, he begins to put things in order. He gets Terry to call Bridget, Bridget to call Miss Beth, work out a service. Terry calls says, can I minister at your service, pastor? I need your permission. Absolutely, you can minister at my service. I'm gonna sit back and watch. Okay, you watch. I sit back and watch. God increases my faith. How about you? When God's speaking to you and you're watching it happen in your own life, is God increasing your faith? When you're watching it happen in your son's life, your husband's life, your sister's life, is God increasing your faith? Faith comes by hearing the, the word comes from the Holy Bible right here. I'm sharing it with you over and over and over again. It should be increasing your faith. When God shares the word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, it is God's word. You should be hearing it. It should be increasing your faith. The condition on which it requires you to follow is faith. What does that mean? It means you must believe it. If you don't believe it, it ain't going to happen. Ah, oh, that sounds so new age. No, it's Old Testament. It's been around for a long time. Are you following me, church? Okay, I got to address this fear problem, though. This story, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat's another one of those guys I like. Some of these kings I can't get along with. Solomon, too smart, too wise, couldn't possibly do what he does. David, I'm not going after the giant, too scared. I can't follow all these kings. Jehoshaphat, he's a guy I can get behind. He was given a kingdom, said run it, manage it. I can get to do that. Doing good, honoring God, blessing him. Kingdom's being blessed, great. Now he looks out the window one day, he's like, what's that? All the armies of the land surround him. They go, I want your little land and I'm taking it. He don't have a big army. He can't take him down. 
He is completely defeated before the war even started. And guess what this man did? It's not one of those Bible stories where he's like, whoa, bring the power of God down, like Elijah. It isn't like, um, oh, I'm going to walk out there and say, oh, you be dead. You know, or Gideon and the people, what, any of that. Guess what this man did? He got straight scared, feared, gripped him, overcame him. And you don't need any more verses to know how he felt. Got down on his knees, cried, worried, what am I going to do? And after he got over that, he had a choice. Here's where it comes. You have a choice in the midst of fear, in the midst of faith. There is a choice that you decide what are you going to believe, the facts of the matter that are in front of you or the truth. The truth that God has a plan for you, a hope and a future, not for evil and not to destroy you. That he's going to work all things together for good. That he's going to make up the river in the desert. Amen? It's your choice. This man, he wanted to make that choice and he couldn't because he saw too many darn armies. So you know what he did? That's where I'm trying to encourage you. When fear grips you and faith begins to slip, he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast to all of Judah. The Bible then says he gathered all the people around and he began to pray and he asked them to pray and all the cities of Judah to pray. He set himself to the Lord. He set himself to the Lord. You have a choice when fear grips you to succumb to everything fear will tell you or to ignore it and put your mind on something else. To focus on what God is saying to you and in your life and go through this Bible and find the verses that you've highlighted and begin to read them. If you don't have them, you can't do it. Walk into the prayer room. Miss Angie has them listed out for you. Grab a sheet of paper and read through them. I'm telling you, church, God is intending to do something in your life and Satan's intending to attack you. When God begins to move in your life, Satan begins to move as well. He does not want to see God's blessing or God's favor in your life. So he will use any means necessary and fear is one of his best tactics because it grips faith away from you. Are you following me, church? It continues like this. The Bible talks about running a race. Chris knows this verse well. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, run the race before you. It talks about sin being involved in that race and to avoiding that. And then it says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your you see, we as human beings, we so often zoom in into our own lives and come up with every reason why we're going to lose the race, lose the battle. We look in at our own history and our own sin and say we're not worthy, or our spouse's sin, or our family's sin, or how our church isn't good enough. Or we zoom in and we look at our emotions and we begin to say, oh no, I couldn't possibly be feeling this way if God was moving in our life. Uh, or we look at our fear and we say, oh man, there's all the reasons that Google said I should be scared to death. You go on and on in your life and every Everyone at this altar here has a reason not to believe what God has said to them. I've thought about it before. And by the way, if any of you think I'm speaking about you personally, you're wrong. I'm speaking to every one of you. And I could pull, I could literally point to any one of you, tell you what your prophecy is, and tell you why you may be scared to listen and follow through with that. Because we have to learn to fix our eyes on Jesus, to not focus on the self not focus on our sin, not focus on our fear, but focus on Jesus, to set our heart and our mind on Jesus in the midst of fear, not our circumstances, not our surroundings. Are you following me yet, church? Is this helping? Oh, it's a choice. Let me say something else about that. Luke, verse 17, verse 5. 
It says, increase our faith. So Pastor Sean, I came down the altar. I'm struggling with something. I asked God to increase my faith. You prayed for me. I prayed for myself. You know, it's not happening. Or take any of your prayer requests that were down here and begin to size them up, big ones, small ones. And you start looking at the big prayer requests and you're like, Lord, why didn't you do that instantly? Whatever it is. It could be a healing. It could be something in your marriage. It could be something in your finances. It could be an addiction. I'm sure you tried many times to break the chains of addiction. And those early times didn't happen immediately. At some point it did. And if I would have told you early on, at some point it will, maybe you would have believed me, maybe you wouldn't. But now we look back, it's very easy to say, absolutely, he did it at that time, and I am broken free of that. You see, when the disciples prayed this back in Luke chapter 17, increase our faith, they did some really, really stupid things after this prayer. Look how stupid. Okay, let's start with Jesus is literally being beat down. And the man who asked to increase our faith is saying, I don't know. I literally don't believe what he said. Oh, you do, don't you? Nope. Oh, no, you really do. Nope. You, you don't believe? Absolutely don't believe. Three times. Three times. His faith wasn't increased. Ah, oh, that's just Peter. Really? How about the man named Thomas? I think we call him Doubting Thomas. Quite literally, Jesus is dead. He's risen from the grave. He has come back. He's standing in his glorified body before Thomas. And Thomas is like, eh, not sure yet. That's not enough for me. I mean, I can't, I mean, it's like God's like, what, really? I mean, literally, that's what he, that's what he said when he's like, just, just touch him. Just touch the holes. And Thomas did. And he did. His faith wasn't increased. Ah, that's just Thomas and Peter. The rest of them, the rest of them, the rest of them. One of them turned Jesus in, and the other nine ran away. All but one. This prayer was not answered instantly. It took them all the way to the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts, and now change your perspective. When you read it, just say this in your mind. Increase their faith. Read chapter 1. Increase their faith. Read chapter 2. Increase their faith. Read chapter 3. Increase their faith. The same men who were stubborn, who, who were doubtful, who were thick-headed, who were scared. These men prayed the Holy Spirit down in the upper room. These men went before the judges and the magistrates of the time and said, I believe in Jesus Christ. They beat them down. They stood up and said, I believe in Jesus Christ. They beat them down in jail. I believe in Jesus Christ. They preached to the hardest people. They went to the hardest place. They threw him in jail, put four people around him, bound him in chains, and they had so much faith, the chains fell off, the people fell asleep, and they walked out. Are you hearing me? God has a plan. He is working it. It may not happen this exact instant, but it will happen because you believe. Now, you may say to me, that's not my experience. I pray God blesses my food. He blesses my food. I pray God lays me down to sleep. I go to sleep. I pray God gets me to work on safe. I get to work safely. You say, that's not my experience. I'm not scared when I pray. I'm not scared when I have to talk to my children about prayer or talk to my pastor about prayer. Then you know what? You're not praying big enough prayers. You pray big enough prayers, you will be scared to death. I'm here praying for people's healing. I'm praying for people's marriages. I'm praying in faith and believing that God is doing it. You don't think I'm scared sometimes? Absolutely. And so look, look. I know it's over time, but I got to say a couple things. 
thing number one, I need to get over my own fears. I talk to Terry about it. I, I talk to God about it. I say, Lord, give me this type of faith, this boldness to walk. I had it one point in the hospital. When, they, when the doctor told me I would never walk again, believe me, I mustered up the faith. Because it was either succumb to the fear or succumb to the faith. And here I am walking. You say, well, why, why are you scared? God's done something in your life. Because God don't do something in my life every single day. Then I get worried he ain't doing something in my life. How about it feels that way? I'm not the only one. So I said to God, I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you. I had some goals for this year. Pray differently. Study the prayers of God. Look, I have a problem with gluten. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I was born with it. I don't know if it happened because of some protein over time or because one of these drug companies infected all of our wheat and I contracted something, some super wheat. I don't know. I don't need to know why. I do know when I eat gluten, bad things happen to my body, my mind, and my spirit across the board. Now, I live with it. How do I live with it? I manage it. I'm scared of gluten. I stay away from it. And I manage my life. And you know what? Frankly, it doesn't bother me anymore because half the world is gluten-free now and so all the restaurants cater to me. But I said to the Lord, I got to step up my game. I got to step up my game. And so 2020, since the first day till this day, I've been praying, Lord God, increase my faith. And by the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, take this gluten thing away from me. Now, how do I know if he has or not? I stayed away from gluten. At some point, I'm going to have to eat some gluten and find out, aren't I? Maybe the first time, I'll get sick. I don't know. I'm ready. Wait now, we talked about it. When I exercise my faith, Satan brings his demons up. He says, come on, bring it on. He says, he says, let's do this. And you know what you need to say, Satan? Come at me, bro. I got this. You need to say, not today, Satan. Not now, not today, and not ever. You may have won in the past. I may have done poorly in the past. I may have been scared in the past. God don't look at my past. He looks at my future. God don't care about what I wasn't able to do. He only cares about what he's able to do. And so I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in his faith. I'm going to be increased in my faith, and I'm going to believe he's going to do it. Amen and amen. I'm just telling you what's going on in my own life. Not just your life, this is my life, my body. I'm going to end with this quote. It's a quote by a pastor. Uh, his name is Neil Anderson, Pastor Neil Anderson. It's all over the internet. You can look it up. It says, your faith will grow not by chance, but by choice. We cannot come to church every Sunday, and expect to hear something that I'm going to say in some masterful way with some type of picture or video or song or prayer, and somehow that's going to change your life. That happened the day you accept Jesus Christ into your life. We're way past that because almost everyone here is under the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you're not today, come see me after. I'd love to talk to you. But you are. Now, God requires something from you and me, me, to preach the word of God so they can hear it. That's what we heard this morning. Search his word. How awesome is it when God tells you to search his word and then he just lays it out for you 10 minutes later? Inquire something from you. What is it? Well, as my wife said, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. One that grows and words like sanctification and justification and holiness. 
Those are all destinations on that journey. That relationship will start like any other relationship. Highs and lows. Casual to intimate. But I assure you today, that relationship will not go very far if there is not mutual trust. Jesus Christ believed in you so much he stepped out of heaven, walked this planet, took your sin on his back, died on the cross so that he could demonstrate his trust in you. Now, he wants you to trust him. Can God provide you the reasons to believe? Absolutely. And if you listen close enough, you watch and examine and measure the situation, you will see reasons to believe God all around you. I saw 22 by my last count last Sunday when I stood right there. God gives you plenty of reasons to believe, but he cannot make you believe. That instant, when you take facts against the truth, and then you begin to measure and weigh them out, you, you alone, in your mind, you come to a conclusion that you are going to believe in faith things that are unseen or you are going to believe in fear the things that are seen belief is a choice in the same way that fear is fear starts out as an emotion as reaction you can talk about it as it being primal as it being evolutionary you can talk about it as being in your DNA and maybe some of that is true and that it will come in this flight and flight mechanism, maybe. Hormones will begin to, to rage up. Absolutely. And then fear begins to paint a story. Opinions that quickly become facts. You have a choice at that point to listen to those or choose to walk away. Fear will rob you from your future. Fear will rob you from God's blessing. Fear will rob you from your favor. Fear will rob you from your healing. Fear will rob you from everything that God has planned for you. And it's your choice to trust in it or to walk away from it. In the same way, it is your choice to believe in something you do not yet see. You know, it may sound funny while we're singing a worship song here. Netflix is filled with time travel shows these days. And I'm fascinated by time travel, not a biblical thing, as a, as a mental escape. And it, it occurred to me that if, if I could go back in time and relive my life, knowing what I know now, do you know how much calmer I would be? Oh, I know how God's going to work that out. It's all okay. Let's not fight about this, honey. God's got it under control. The baby's on the way. The job's on the way. The healing for Austin or Lance or Griffin is on the way. The healing for you, honey, in your heart, in your mind, 
even though the doctors haven't come up with a reason and we've spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to find a reason, we're not going to get one, hun, other than that God has us in his hands. And you will feel better. It's not what I said when we started out. Why must I have a time machine to act that way? Don't I have somebody who's already won the war? Somebody who's victorious, who knows every hair on my head, who says he's going to work all things together for good for me. And so I go back to that car that I have in the garage. And maybe, maybe the reason why I act the way I do with my car is because it's in a garage and it has two doors and it's protected. And if that car was down in inner city Baltimore sitting on the street somewhere, maybe I'd be scared and check on it every day. And maybe that, what you and me need to do with our faith, we need to stop parking our hope and our faith on the street and letting all of our friends tell us what they think about it and letting this person or that person put graffiti on it, mark it up and damage it. Yeah, we have to check on it all the time because we're worried. Maybe if we put our faith in our home, protected it, put people around us that cared for us and cared about it, and no way, no how, we're going to debunk our faith but pour into it maybe our faith will be increased and maybe just maybe God will be able to do something more in our life and their life are you following me church we at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean it was not by chance you listened to it God is speaking to you visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.